Right, so uh, hello everyone and welcome back to Watch the Space, the podcast brought to you by The Young Horologist. I'm joined as ever by Mr Callum Moore. How are you, sir? Good afternoon, Felix. Yes, no, I'm, I'm good. Slightly hungover, but all is well. It's a Sunday, so no surprises there. We are also exactly. joined, not by our South African correspondent, we are joined by a very exciting guest. We're joined by uh, Nicholas Bowman Scargill of Fears Watches. Nicholas, how are you? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm keeping well. I wish I could say I was hungover as well, but sadly, uh, yeah, lockdown life for me is just, just one long, never-ending workday. But uh, no, thank you for having me. Mm. All right, thank you for coming on. Really excited to talk to you after what has been a pretty, uh, a pretty exciting week for fears, which we'll come on to later. But uh, to start off with, we'll do a customary wristwatch check. So, Nicholas, let's start with yeah. you. What are you. What are you wearing? Thank you. Well, I'm wearing my personal Fears Brunswick white, um, which I've put on a recent edition, which I think is a bracelet that you might be wearing as well today. One of the uh, the Forstner <laughs> Bond clips, and it's oh, it's wonderful. I love this. I mean, it's, it, this watch is very important to me because it's my. It was one of the very first Brunswick watches we built back in 2017. And that watch was very, very important for the, in the relaunch of the company. And yeah, I end up wearing this watch a lot. But recently I put it on the bracelet, which has completely changed how, how I wear it, how it feels. Um, Fears doesn't currently make a bracelet, so it's been quite fun trying out lots of different types and styles. But this one from Forstner, I absolutely love it. It's very vintage style, but yeah, it's got a nice, nice feel to it. It's a very good pairing, actually. It's, it pairs less well with the watch I've got mine on, but I, I've, I've seen the photos of it on your Brunswick recently, and it does look, it does go very well together. Very well indeed. Very Thank cool you. pairing. Mr Moore, what about yourself? You've got on something quite cool, actually, I think, as well. Yeah, I do have something on quite cool, something I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, over the last few days. Um, this is basically the, the, the Christopher Ward that um, we've, we've got at the moment. Um, what, what's the model and name again for this? Uh, it's the C60 Limpstone. Limpstone, that's it, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's just really good. I think Chris Award has been uh, been offering a lot of stuff of which is very good value for money in terms of the spec they have for the price. And this, what's the fact, you know, it's, it's under £1,000 and it's a chronometer with a carbon fibre dial. It is, I don't think there's anything that matches this kind of this kind of spec for that price in what 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 it comes down to is it wears excellently as well so there we go am i right so, in thinking that's the one which has been designed for the special forces or something you like are that, indeed yes yes yeah, yeah, so really yeah. impressive yeah. piece really impressive yeah it has the royal marine insignia on the case back which is very cool it's a cool piece of kit and it's their, it's their normal 600 meter water resistant and chronometer yeah and it's a uh, it's, the loom's crazy. Like you almost have to put it in a cupboard because it like keeps you awake at night. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Fantastic. Very cool. And um, uh, I, I wanted. There's a watch here that I'm holding in my hand that I wanted to be wearing, which is the Formex Essence Thirty Nine in the green dial, which we've also been sent to play with. But I am struggling hugely to uh, undo the screw links to be able to add more links in because it doesn't currently fit me. So uh, until I can figure that out, it's just going to be a review of a uh, bedside clock, effectively, until I can get the bracelet resized. <laughs> so instead, as, uh, as Nicholas alluded to, I'm wearing, well, I'm wearing my, the old reliable, my no-date sub on the same Forstner 
uh, bong clip bracelet, which doesn't really, shouldn't really work, but I think it pairs quite well. And as Nicholas said, the, this bracelet is just, it's, it's awesome and it is incredibly comfortable. Um, again, they've just lent, uh, lent a, a, a bracelet for us to have a, well, for me to have a play around with in a review. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to try out writing a bracelet review, which should be interesting, but... It's interesting seeing you so, wearing the uh, the same bracelet I am, but on a different watch. Because one of the things I love about this is you you don't have to use any screwdrivers or pins to adjust it. Like you know, every time you put it on, you can adjust how it feels. So some days my wrist is a bit larger; it's a bit warmer, and so I'll put I'll clip it on a different hole. But other days, but also looking at that, like the way you're wearing it, you'll wear it relatively tight and secure. Whereas I yes, quite yeah. like mine sort of. So the watch is sort of moving around quite a lot. I like that sort of slightly looser feel to it. But yeah, yes, these are yeah, bracelets, yeah. brilliant bracelets. I mean, I've, I, I actually had to pay the... Uh, sadly, I paid the full, uh, the full dollar ah. price for mine. Um, but I've been doing a little bit of promotion for them just because, you know, when you, you've got something, you're like, this is good. This is genuinely really good. So I'm really happy yeah, to, yeah, like, yeah. you know, keep singing their praises because, uh, mm. yeah, I, I, I just love it. Oh no, I, I I agree. I mean, uh, as you said, we we were. I was lucky enough to get sent this for for free, but I would pay full price in a heartbeat. And actually, we've had a couple of people off the back of a couple of photos on our Instagram messaging and saying, you know, I'm now going to yeah, go and buy yeah. one. You know, having seen it yeah. on your wrist, so I think people are really, uh, yeah, they're uh, they're big fans of of the style of bracelet. I see a lot of the flat end link uh, ones on People Speedmasters, which is a very cool pairing. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I suppose the the, 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 the the first sort of topic of conversation that I think would be interesting to touch upon is uh, to talk about the 175th anniversary of Fears, which you celebrated uh, last week, wasn't it? Or, the, well, this week just gone. And you released quite a cool commemorative piece. So would you mind... I mean, we'd love to find out a bit more about uh, about how that came to be and a bit about the watch. Certainly, thank you. Well... So it's weird you about the 175th anniversary because we don't know the exact date that Edwin Fears started Fears back in 1846. So we sadly don't have a like oh it was on the you know Monday the so and so of this month, which means that as a result this entire year is really a celebration. You know we've got you know some different watches. We've also got some other non-watch products. Um, you know some events planned. We've got basically a year. Of celebration and so sort of each month we're doing a uh, you know a subtle little different thing so the first month we sort of revealed our emblem this this very ornate victoriana sort of fears 175 logo which is only it, i call it an emblem it's not really a logo because it's not something that will uh, you know it, it's not appearing on the website it's not going to appear sort of on that many things it's just kind of to commemorate it um, but yeah, we had uh, our first piece to commemorate the anniversary launch on Friday. So uh, yeah, we, we're talking two days after the launch. However, the watch actually sold out within two minutes of launch. So it ended up being, uh, it's launched, here it is, and now it's disappeared. Um, and now it's gone. Exactly. But, uh, but no, I'm very pleased with the watch because... Even though it is, you know, it is part of the anniversary, and, and on the case back, it's engraved with the anniversary logo. I was just blown away by the response to the style of the watch because it was quite different from our usual 
very classic, relatively formal look. And it's quite nice mm. to be able to sort of, you know, play and experiment and, you know, try out some other different facets of, of, of the, the company and, you know, our design language. And this was a perfect opportunity to do that. And so as a result, you know, there were loads of things that we, we, we saw in that where I was like, actually, people really like that. Maybe we should consider doing a bit more of that in the future, you know. Yes, yeah, I was, I was just about to say the same thing. It's, um, I, I guess it, it's, it's, it's good from your point of view in terms of getting an, eye, getting an idea that people do actually, would actually like a, a watch from you that is slightly more, not, not left field, but something a little bit more playful. Because that means that you know in the future, as you said, if you wanted to do something that, that was a little bit more playful, that it would get the, 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 the reception that you, that you would want. But I, I think it's a very, very cool... Oh, it's just, I, I love it. I, I've been looking through photos this afternoon, just sort of drooling at, at the watch. It's, um, it's very cool. And to sell out in two minutes is, uh, is amazing. Really cool. Yes, it was, uh, yeah, it, it really was quite a surprise. But I think, you know, what's, what's nice is, you know, even though it is, it is a bit more playful, it's a bit more casual. I think if you look at it, though, it's still a fears foremost and for me after five years of running this company that's really important because one of the things I set out to do back in 2016 when I left Rolex and was starting I was saying right you know what I I want to make sure that Fears has its own identity its own DNA and so you know I'm very proud of the fact we don't just copy watches from the archive you know the easiest thing would be just to reference Mm. our you know, 130 years when the company was running and then it closed for 40 years until I restarted it. So we've got 130 years of, of watches to play play with and, and, and mm. take from. But what I'm pleased is that actually if you look at that new watch, the Brunswick Brown, it doesn't, it doesn't look vintage. It doesn't look like anything in our archive. It's got its own identity and actually it's clearly a fears because of lots of little elements that over the last you know, half decade people have begun to associate with us. And for me, that's, that's yeah. really important because that allows us to look forward to the next 130 years, the next 175 years. You know, you can't look forward that far if you're always looking back. I completely agree. Mm. I completely agree. I think that's a really good point. What, what was the... So, so when, you, when, you were, when you were coming up to the 175th year celebration and you knew that you wanted to do this as a commemorative piece, what was the, the sort of the design process behind settling for the, 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 the dial colour that you ended up going for? Was there a, a process of looking at loads of different options or did you always have an idea in your mind about how you wanted it to look? So it's quite interesting. This watch, um, and for, for, for people who haven't yet seen it, it's got a brown dial, a uh, brown dial yeah. on in a steel case and then the numerals and the hands have all been hand-painted in a wonderful enamel cream colour. So it's that wonderful warm mm. cream. I, you know, we, we can't use it in the literature, but the inspiration for that cream is uh, from the traditional Arga range cooker. You know, uh, my parents have a cream Arga and it's, I, I just love that colour. It's just really rich and warm. And it's sort of, it's, it's very traditional without being naff in any way so um but no i so i really wanted to bring out a brown dial in a steel case because it's unusual usually you'd find it in a gold watch I was gonna say, don't um you? and i really like juxtaposition i like putting 
different materials, different things together, which wouldn't normally go, but work incredibly well. And, you know, it's like, you know, on a, on a Sunday in the old days when we used to be able to go to the pub, I'd love to go to the pub wearing my, you know, my old Levi 501s that I've had for a decade. You know, they're, they're, they're ripped, they've got holes, they're worn. And I'll happily wear them with my Hermes belt with the silver H buckle. And I kind of love that juxtaposition <laughs> of sort of like high fashion with, you know, casual. It's kind of like it works, I think, you know. So with this, I said, right, well, let's put a brown dial, a brown face in a steel case. And so we started working on, mm. on making the dials. And we always get a pre, pre-selection of dials before they do the full run. And so we, we received 15 dials. And I love them. They're beautiful, like rich. The colour, we, we've called it burnt ochre. Um, because when you tilt it in the light, because of the different finishes and the way the brown lacquer works with those finishes and, and levels, you end up having a colour that goes from chocolate to caramel. to So it's not just a chocolate, you know. Um, yeah. But the thing was, I was going through these 15 dials and I absolutely love them. But six of them just weren't up to muster. So I failed them to, in QC. And so when I speak to the dial maker, I say, look, out of 15, we'd expect to fail maybe one, maybe two, um, because we have very, very strict QC tolerances. But to fail six, this is absurd. So I, I explained this to them. And they said, well, actually, I'll be honest, this was our fourth attempt at making the dial. <laughs> Blimey. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It ended up being a conversation where they said, look, I'm really sorry. We've already lost so much money making these dials for you. We're not prepared to make any more. So, like, what you've got is it. And I was like, oh, great. Mm. Well, what can I do with nine dials? Like, nine dials is... You can't make a production watch with nine dials, especially when you can't replace it or get more. And I think this is Mm. an important point. It's like, every time we bring out a watch, we make sure that you know we've got over 50 years plus of spare components because you know it's one thing to bring out a watch fine great but what people often won't do is invest in you know half a century's worth of spare parts and you need to if like me you you're, you're not looking at the next 5 10 years you're looking right down the line at 50 years time so i go right nine dials what can we do with those and in the end said right well this is too beautiful to just shelve and put in the archive we we need to make something so we built one and i just fell in love with it i was like yeah we've got to we've got to we've got to release this somehow so we decided in the end to make five pieces and then keep four spare dials which means you know we've we've got a very high proportion of spare dials for those those five lucky owners but it meant that we could bring it out we could actually release it um and then once you start looking at it, you go, well, this is a bit different, a bit left, you know, as you said earlier, a bit sort of left left field. So we go, well, let, rather than putting it on the traditional, just plain leather strap, let's put it on a, you know, a, a brown, on a yeah, bun. on a bun strap. So a brown, chocolate brown, nubuck buffalo. Um, and then it kind of goes on from there. We go, oh, well, why don't we also put it on a, you know, a goat's leather strap in case people don't want the bun strap. And then just before uh, just before Christmas, um, I saw one of the ladies from 10 and 2 podcast over in Nashville, yes, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw uh, she, she had been borrowing a Brunswick salmon, which is 
probably one of our most dressy pieces. And she had put it on a green NATO strap and wow. it looked amazing. I mean, wow. you know, when you, again, this juxtaposition, you suddenly see a combination, you go, okay, this is cool. And people's reaction to it was amazing. People were like, I'd never thought of wearing the watch like that. And so I said, right, we need to find a matching bronzy brown NATO to add with the watch. And so it ended up being kind of a slight strange thing that, you know, when we launched the watch on Friday, we were saying to people, look, if you don't like the bund, fine, but it, it comes with a bund, a standard strap and a NATO. It comes with everything in, in, mm. in the box. And then we also engraved the case back with the anniversary emblem that I was referring to earlier yes, to kind yeah. of link it all in. So the idea is it's, it's a limited edition, but it isn't just a change of a dial colour. You know, there's there's a lot more that goes into, I mean, Brunswick Brown has its own identity. And for those lucky five owners, you know, they, they are now part of a very exclusive little club, you know, and yeah. I, I'm excited for, you know, in years to come when we can do meetups in person, you know, if you get someone with one of those watches in the room, you know, I think quite a lot of people will want to see it in the flesh because, you know, you just mm. won't see it otherwise. No, definitely not. No, I'm. Uh, it, it, I. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the first photos of them in the wild come up on Instagram. I. Uh, I suppose for you, it must be exciting to to find out who the. I suppose if you don't know them already, to find out who the buyers are and what else they have in their collection and how it fits in and their impressions of it and. Which it must just be so exciting. This is, yeah, I was going to say how it's um, when I met Don from uh, Vertex and he was saying how, they have. Um, they have a record of all the owners of their watches. He was saying so. They, you said they basically know everyone who bought who who's bought a brand new Vertex from them, and they sort of have a record of, of it. And uh, it said it's that very personal connection to the people you're building watches for. So you know, if you have this connection with us, so this person's bought this, this 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 person's bought this. You you have that like almost collector's club around your own brand, and uh, and it just means I think you have a better understanding of what you want to make next because you know who your audience is. If, you, know, you know exactly who your audience is. Well, I mean, that's exactly, you know, we, we know everyone who's bought a, a fierce watch. Um, but what yeah. we also do is we go a step further and we actually do have an owner's club. So there is right. a fierce owner's club and it sits on its own website, fearsowners.club. Um, there's a digital clubhouse that you can uh, that you can access if you're a member of the club. It's free to join. The only criteria to join the club is to be the owner of a Fears watch made between 1846 mm -hmm. and present day. So, you know, if you buy a brand new Fears, you don't automatically get enrolled. You have to, you know, send us an email and say, right, I would like to join. And then we send you an, a yeah. welcome pack and, and, and you join. But say you inherit a Fears watch or you find one on eBay mm. or, you know, if you own an old Fears watch, you're welcome to join the club because we value you just as much as someone who has gone out and bought our latest model. You know, at the end of the day, if the watch says Fears on the dial, you're part of the family. It's part of your history. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the owner's club to me is very important because I think one of the failings of this fantastic industry that I'm privileged to work in is that often people will buy a watch and then what? You know, you know I, I, I walked, the other day before lockdown, I went into Vacheron, into the boutique on Bond Street. And I was thinking, oh, you know, it'd be lovely to buy a watch from here and have the experience of buying it from here. But then I thought, 
Okay, and this is this, by the way, is not to knock Vacheron, but this is just the, the sort of experience you get from anywhere. You think, okay, great. But once I've bought my watch, how do I then interact with the brand? Because I may not necessarily want to buy another watch from them. You know, I may not be in a position to, I may not choose to. So, but you still want to feel connected. You still want to feel part of, of the company. And I mean, we've got lots and lots of owners who aren't watch collectors. You know, they, they are people who have gone, you know what, I want to buy myself one beautiful watch and I'll wear it every day and I, you know, I'll treasure it. And for them, the owners club means that they, they have a, le a legitimate reason to regularly interact with the company even if they're not going to necessarily buy another watch. And that's, for me, I'm, mm. I would rather sell someone one watch and that's the one fierce watch they will ever buy from the company, but they will wear that watch and enjoy it and get such pleasure from it year after year after year. And obviously, you know, as a business, we would hope they would bring the watch back to us to have it serviced, to, to get new watch straps. Um, but even if they don't, as long as they wear it and they enjoy it, that's all that really matters to me. You know, we are not a volume yeah. company. You know, we are, we only make a few hundred watches a year. The way we're set up, we can't make thousands and thousands. And I wouldn't want to. I'm, I'm not in the market for shoving watches onto people, which is why, you know, since day one, we, we, we never do sales. We've never done a discount on a watch. You know, even my own personal Brunswick I'm wearing today, I paid full retail price to the company to buy my own watch. You know, my family buy, you know, a few of their own fears and they've paid full price for the watches. It's, it's just a simple way of saying, you know, actually every single thing we make, because we make our watches and we build our watches by hand here in the UK, there are too many craftspeople who've spent too many decades perfecting and honing their skills to make each different component, whether it's a case, a dial, hand, strap, etc., it would be disrespectful to them to start saying, oh yeah, well, it's Black Friday, so we'll do 20% off. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm. Let's go back mm. to the old, true, traditional sense of luxury and quality and not just try and mm. do a, oh, well, this month we've got to sell, you know, X number of watches to hit a target. It's like, you know, you, you, you know, like any business, we have we, we, we have hopes and dreams of what we might sell within a year, but it's kind of an arbitrary number. You know, it's, it, mm. for me, I would never want to do a hard sell or force someone to buy a watch. You know, I would rather they chose to come back, you know, chose to come to us and, and choose something, which is why, you know, referencing last Friday, you know, the fact that we make five watches, they sell out in two minutes, you know, that was phenomenal you know and, and the fact is we had nearly 30 people before it went live on the website emailing us saying they wanted to buy the watch and we said wow. no, no 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 first come first serve you know no favoritism for existing you know customers you know and it feels weird saying to someone who owns eight fears watches i'm sorry i'm not i'm not selling you on ahead of the crowd um but i think that's important i mean you know depending if you want to name names, but we all know of some of the big brands where you cannot get certain watches for love mm. nor money other than paying hugely over retail or having, mm. you know, spent a huge amount with certain dealers. I'm sorry, for me, I just, I don't want to be in that game. I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. No, I, no, I, um, no. I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago. can't remember which podcast, 
or when exactly it was, but they were touching briefly on uh, on Ming, who I, I, I don't know your opinion of Ming, but I think they are brilliant. But they were saying that it, it's come to light recently that some of their limited editions, they have been giving preferential treatment to pre-existing customers for very, very small limited edition runs that they do. And it just, it, it, it takes the shine off my impression of the company because I completely agree with you. I think there should be no favouritism, no discount. You know, you should you should be paying the the price that is fair for the level of craftsmanship you're receiving. And everyone should have equal an equal opportunity to do that. And as a result, you shouldn't be, you know, discounting watches. And people should understand that that is the way to do it because of the quality, you know, it would be it would be it would be doing the watch a disservice if anything to well it's so it's interesting you mention mention them and and, and that coming to light i hadn't actually heard that um but i i, I think i yeah, i, I feel in the same sort of thing you know look at the end of the day ex- exclusive has um in my eyes two meanings you know if, if you are lucky enough to own a fears watch you know whether it's a watch you inherited from your, your great-grandfather or you go on fears watches.com today and you buy a watch that we have available um i want you to feel like you've got something exclusive something special you are now part of a small set of people who have chosen to buy something of exceptional quality and then we have the fears owners club which i mentioned you know you can join that and you can interact with with fears you know you are part of you know this small but growing number of people who own a fears watch but what I don't like with the word exclusive is where it's saying, like you just referenced, you know, oh, if you know me particularly well or if you are a particularly good customer, therefore you're in this like VIP elite group. And I think that's just, no, no. You know, it's like, um, you know, without, without sounding like a sob story, you know, I, I had friends at school, but I wasn't part of the, the cool set you know I was never a cool guy at school you know I, I, I had my little group of friends and we were all happy with that but you know it still was that thing of like you know I hated sports and uh, you know uh, PE lessons um, because I would always be one of the last to be picked for a team um, I mean to be fair I am useless at any kind of sport <laughs> so I, I don't think it was necessarily it my mine. personality. I think it was more <laughs> these people going, actually, we really do not want Nicholas on our team. But but that aside, but like, you know, it is that thing when you feel that you're like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm not valuable. Because at the end of the day, anyone who interacts with fears is, is, is treated the same. And that's actually one of our values that I, I'm very, you know, I, I make sure that anyone who works for the company, you know, understands, appreciates and respects. And it is literally the value of, you know, utmost respect for everyone. And that goes from our best customer right through to when we're taking something to the post office. And it's about being polite to the person behind the counter because you are representing the company. Every single person who Fears interacts with gets the same blanket, high level of politeness and customer service whether they are a customer a supplier or someone who is you know literally cleaning our offices it makes no difference because in my eyes if you do that then fundamentally you've got people who understand what respect is 
And I know that's a very old-fashioned British idea of being, you know, respectful and doing things with integrity. But I think it's, I think it's really core, cool, especially because, as I say, I love the working in, in this industry, but it is an industry with a hugely inflated sense of self-worth. It's full of pomp and, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, pretentiousness. And look, you know, you can hear from my accent. I was, I was lucky to go to a, a very good school. I, I had a very nice upbringing. But I realised that actually, no, as much as it is nice to be at a glitzy event enjoying a glass of champagne, you, you've got to make sure that you're not going to, you know, that, that you are open and approachable to people who don't necessarily want to interact with that, which is absolutely yeah. fine, you know. Yeah, completely agree. Um, even though having said that, bring back watch events where we can enjoy a glass of champagne because oh. it feels like it's been a good year since we've had any events. <laughs> oh, I know. Bring it on. I mean, it has been. It sounds like it, it doesn't. It feels like we aren't a million miles away. Luckily, but um, no, I completely agree. There are, and and we won't name any more names, but there are a lot of the big Swiss yeah, watch companies. I may or may not be wearing one from one of the companies I would have mentioned, <laughs> who could learn a hell of a lot from the values that you have, because uh, it's yeah, it, there, there there is a lot to be said for not going into. I mean, you, you hear so many horror stories, don't you, of people who go into X boutique or X, you know, watch dealer and want to buy a watch that they have no idea is slightly hard to come by and get laughed out of the shop. And, you know, how can you treat, you know, a prospective customer like that? It's just, it's, it's infuriating. And I think I mean, it's I really feel- important that, you know... There, that- there is certainly something to say that I... I suspect, not all, but I suspect there are a lot of people, sadly, who are working at at, at these retailers who haven't had to work through a very tough economic climate. You know, I think the seasoned sales professional has seen the ups and downs and they know that there are days where you are having to sell. Like, you know, right now there are certain watches, we all know what they are, which are difficult to come by. But those same watches 10 years ago, they could only get rid of them with discounts. So I think, you know, if you've got, and this isn't to bash, you know, salespeople, but I think if you are a relatively inexperienced salesperson who has just joined and started working in the industry in the last few years, you have to be really careful because what you are seeing right now is the white heat of the watch industry. You know, watches, the watches have watches in in their sense, not just brands, not just specific models, but wristwatches have never been more popular than they are right now. And obviously running a watch mm. company, I hope may, long may this continue, but I think, you know, we see it with auction results. We see it with, you know, the story, you know, the stories we've all heard of people being laughed out. You, I don't want people to have to go through hardship. I don't want there to be a, a downturn in the economy, but I want people to realize that, these watches that are hard to come by today are only hard to come by because there is demand for them. Demand is, mm. is, is fickle. Demand comes and goes, you know, and actually if there's enough people who are insulted and upset and go, you know what, it's not even worth bothering to go in and ask, then you could end up in a position where you actually do go through the wait list. Everyone's ticked off. Everyone's got their watch and then you've got a watch and it goes in the window and you're actually, you know, it's, it's not that crazy to see it because... You know, I used to work for for Rolex. I did five years as an apprentice watchmaker. And I was there from 2011 
to 2016. And then I left to restart Fears. And while I was there, you know, in my lunch break, I, w- I would head out onto St. James's Square and go up to Bond Street. And in every retailer that sold Rolex, there'd be at least one steel submariner in the window. And that was just the normal thing. And okay, you wouldn't get discount because Rolex don't do discounts, and I applaud that. But you you could go in about you couldn't get a a Daytona, but you could get these watches. But bear in mind, back in 2011, 2012, I was enough of a watch geek to work at a watch company and train to become a watchmaker. But actually, at that point, Hodinkee was literally less than half a decade old. Um, most of the YouTube channels didn't exist. Most of the podcasts didn't exist. Mm. You know, Instagram had only just started. I think this is the crazy thing. This, this phenomena that has created hard-to-come-by pieces and results, sadly, in people being, you know, laughed at when they want to drop a huge amount of cash. That's not saying exactly. it's not value for money. But, but, you know, we're talking about an amount of money that is, for the majority of the population three or four times the average monthly wage. And actually for that sales assistant, I, I, I don't understand why they think they could, you know, not treat someone with, with respect when they're asking to buy a watch that actually is, is costing multiples of what they earn. You know, exactly. I think it's that you, you have to be respectful of someone, even if they're, all they want to do is come in and spend, you know, 10 pounds on some spring bars. You've got to respect it. Anyone can take their money anywhere. Um, and I think that's the number one thing you do. You know, whether it's a strap or the most expensive watch we sell, we do free, you know, insured complimentary shipping for everything. And everyone gets handwritten notes and everyone, you know, it's, it's just saying you've got to just treat every single person who wants to spend any money with you with the same amount of respect. I completely agree. I, th- I think I, I, I can't disagree with anything you've said. I think it... It says a lot about you and Fears as as a company, and it says very little about some of the other brands who, uh, who through whatever circumstance, don't seem to offer the same level of experience. No, I think it's a very good point. I think I think the beauty is though the the size of your company now makes it easier to be much more personal and have much more control. Um, you know the likes of these very big uh, companies, you know, the, the Rolex and the in the Pateks. Obviously, it's. it's it's harder to keep control over the the creative process, but then also, you know, how, how, how these are brought into market. And I think the reason why a lot of proper watchers love all these really niche brands is because there is that, um, there is that personal connection with it. And, you know, like you might, you might be able to know the, know the, the CEO and the owner of, 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 of the company personally. And, and that kind of thing, I think that's what a lot of serious watch people lean to in, uh, and at the end of the day, as is, is, is you said earlier, you are making watches for the serious watch people. You know, you're not selling it to, to the to the general general population, and uh, and you know, doing the discounts so that the most people buy it at the at the time it's released, etc. You're you're only making a certain certain number of watches specifically for certain people. I think. No, I I think that's very true. Um, the one thing, though, I would say is. You know, I realised several years ago that, you know, it's regardless of how I want Fears to to grow and develop, you know, it's a company, I'd like it to grow, but I don't want it to grow to an unwieldy size. Um, And and the most important thing is it not to lose what makes it special, Um, which is why, you know, we invest a lot of time and energy into 
our owner relations team. So we call it owner relations yeah. rather than customer services because it's sometimes pre-sale, sometimes after-sale. But it's, you know, you, you purchase a watch online from us. You know, you get emails going, right, here's your tracking details. Oh, and by the way, we keep an eye on all shipments several times every day. We're on DHL, Royal Mail sites, checking on everything. So actually, if a watch got stuck in customs coming to you the other side of the world, we will know about it. We will already have spoken to your local DHL centre to find out what's going on before you even know if there's a delay or not. You know, and, and this obviously costs money, but not that much money. And I think if you're a big watch brand, you've got to be careful that actually investing in, in customer service is vital, especially if you're going to do e-commerce. I mean, I hear some horror stories of, of people during lockdown having bought watches online direct from a lot of the big Swiss brands. And it's just they're not geared up for doing this. They're geared up for doing B2B, selling wholesale. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, yeah. one of the things that I, I you know, I, I say to people is, look, you know, Fears will never be the biggest watch company. It won't be the most famous, you know. But actually, a realistic aim we can do is say, well, actually, why can't Fears offer the best experience of purchasing a watch from the first contact through to the watch arriving review to after sales? And actually, that's not unrealistic because, no. you know, mm. with respect to the really big brands, we can do it better than they can. And, and, and you know, without sounding arrogant, I think we do already. I think right now Definitely. we do. I gave... I gave an interview to Watch Pro last week and I, I, I was talking about this and I said, you know, one of the things, it's not only about being smaller, because as you say, Callum, that makes a big difference. You know, we, we naturally, people mm. can message me, but you know, those emails saying, here's your, you know, your tracking reference, they're not coming from me. You know, I, I'm, that's my team. But I think it's that I invest a lot of time, energy and effort into making sure that we have the right people working for fears, you know, our team members, you know, proportional to the same job elsewhere, earn a lot more at FEARS because we've realised that actually every single email is the difference between someone not just buying from FEARS but recommending FEARS, saying, you know, I had a great experience or, you know, it's a positive feeling. Um, now, an accountant would look at it and go, well, what's the ROI on that? I'm sorry. But, you know, the, the thing is, we live and work in the 21st century. You know, though I am a little older than, than you gentlemen, but, you know, we are closer as a generation than, say, I am with most of the other watch company CEOs. You know, I'm in sure. my early to yeah, mid-30s. Yeah. And I think that gives me the, 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 the wonderful, wonderful, lucky insight of saying, well, sadly, today we see too many businessmen acting as if it's still the 20th century and the business is just about profit and just about every penny is well what am I getting back for that and I'm sorry that's that's not how the world of business works in 2021 and I'm sure you know there will be seasoned you know CEOs listening to listening to this episode right now screaming at the radio going what does this kid know he doesn't know anything well I'm sorry I I disagree you know I'm I don't think I'm, I'm necessarily an expert at this and, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to learn. But I think, you know, a lot of the 
big watch brands really need to wake up and go, just because things haven't been done like this doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing things like this. I mean, a good example is um, look at exotic skin watch straps. So we're talking like alligators, lizards, things like that. Well, Mm. for hundreds of years, well, for the hundred years the wristwatches have existed, um, the, the premium option and the option that any precious metal watch would come on is alligator. Well, since I think it was January last year, California state in the US uh, banned any exotic skins. Um, February last year, Selfridges did the same. You know, I was saying years ago, I think people are going to be moving away from exotic skins, you know, and that's why we weren't offering our most expensive watches on exotic skin. We were offering them on vegetable tanned British leather where we... You know, I've I've walked around the tannery and they can tell me Amazing. where pretty much every single hide has come from. Oh, it came from a farmer based at X. You know, we can almost go work out, well, you know, was this hide originally Gertrude or, or Mabel yes, or yeah, Daisy, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it's that, I think it's very important to have traceability and, you know, openness around this. And it's not, I'm not for a moment going to start bashing a drum saying, oh, Fears is the most sustainable watch company. No, look, every day I'm trying to make us more sustainable. And that isn't just saying more environmentally friendly. It's about protecting jobs and making sure skills are protected. But since day Mm. one, if you look at the spec table on our website for any watch or product, we will tell you where every component comes from, which country. And I will happily and openly tell you that our sapphire glass on our watches comes from Hong Kong, whereas everything else comes from European manufacturers. And people will say, well, why isn't it coming from a European manufacturer? Because they don't exist. And I refuse to, to whitewash over it and say, oh, we're getting the sapphire glass from Switzerland. If I know that by Switzerland, we're actually meaning a PO box in Switzerland and it's a middleman for something coming from yes, Hong Kong. Yeah. And, you know, for me, mm. I remember five years ago talking to some other owners of watch companies and they, they would just say, oh, come on, Nicholas, like, no one cares, no one's interested. Just say you make it in Britain, just, you know, be vague, it'll be fine. And I don't know, I, I, you know, these, there's something about honesty and transparency, which you can go, okay, absolutely. Someone could go, well, it's very dangerous because what if someone, you know, tried to write the expose? Bring it on. Write the expose. Exactly. You know, I'd rather be honest and say, look, I'm not, if I say something is made here, it's actually made here. And that does mean, you know, for some things we go, well, look, we don't make our straps in-house. We don't make our movements in-house. Sure. But I I think, you know, if that is important to you, that's fine. That's great. But what I would always ask people to do is question everything. Like question where parts come from. If someone says something, like, is is that always true? And, And think, what makes me so happy is increasingly companies are doing this. They're being more open. They're being more transparent. And, and that's only a good thing because Ghana, the days of the mystery and, you know, we don't need any of that. Come on. It's the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think it's an interesting point because people, if people are going to be shady about where component parts have come from, you've got to ask, why do they feel the need to be 
you know, it's it's like all of these companies that that say that they're using in-house movements, but actually they're just SLEET or ETA. And you go, well, actually, if if you believe in your product enough and you believe in the quality enough, why does it matter if your crystals come from Hong Kong or your watches are actually ETA? You know, mm. why does it matter? If people, mm. if you're confident enough in your customer base and you're confident enough in your own product, transparency should be more important than, you know, Covering covering it up, I, you know. I well, I, yeah. it, beca- it becomes a it becomes a huge positive, right? Because you know, five years into it, and I know we're celebrating our hundred and seventy fifth anniversary this year. But what I really like is when I'm on a Facebook group, and I'm just I'm, I'm there just because you know I'm a huge watch geek, so I'm always interested to see what watches people own and you know and comment. But if I see people mentioning fears or talking about fears. The heritage is one of the last things they talk about. The fact that we're one of Britain's oldest watch companies is one of the final things I mentioned. What they're talking about is the quality and the design and the finishing. And I think that is, for me, that's what, as a watch company, you should be focusing on. The fact is, you know, we we have 175 years of history. Great, wonderful. But that should never be an excuse. That shouldn't be an excuse you use because you're putting out a, a mediocre product. It shouldn't be something like, a, you know, you know, oh, I'm, I, I don't... It's absolutely fine. If someone wants to buy the watch because of the heritage, great. But sure. that shouldn't be... In my eyes, that shouldn't be the number one reason. I, I always say, if, you, if someone was to give you a fears and take the name off the dial and not tell you anything about the history of the company, you should still go, this is a really nice watch and it's worth this price. You know, oh, and completely. I think that's the most completely. important thing. Having, so, ha- having spent a bit of time, very, I was very privileged to spend a bit of time with, with one over, over the summer and I would buy it regardless of whether you had the history or not. I would buy, I, and I, I will buy one at one, uh, one point because fundamentally they are absolutely beautiful and it wouldn't care, it, it wouldn't matter to me what it said on the dial or how much history it, the brand had or anything. Fundamentally, it's a beautiful watch. And that's why people, as you said, that's that should be the most important thing. And 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 if you ever decide to make some more Brunswick salmon's, I will buy one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're we're slowly working through our waiting list. We've got about ninety people on the waiting list, and uh, yeah, that gives me enough time to, to save those. up then. So well, that's exactly. If you go on the waiting list today, we should be giving you a watch in the autumn. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think one what, one question I had was um, you said you, you were talking about the sort of the twenty first century way of way of doing business in terms of e commerce. I assume is how you're saying it, but you know, do, do you see a point where you guys would want to have a boutique, um, you know, opening your own boutique at some point? Because I guess the as you were saying the the only real reason why you'd have a boutique these days is for the customer buying experience. That's, I mean, that, that, that's really the only reason why why people have boutiques these days, isn't it? And I, I just wondered if that's if that's somewhere you see yourselves going. Really interesting question. So back in twenty eighteen, we did a six week pop up shop in the Piccadilly Arcade in London, and it was a huge success. And then in twenty nineteen, we did a, a pop up shop at the end of Savile Row, and that was a huge success. And the reason they were a huge success was nothing to do with uh like 
footfall. It was nothing to do with people just walking down the street, seeing a beautiful window display that I'd put together and going, oh, I must come in and, and, and discover more. No, what it was, was people mm. who had been following fears for six months, a year, yeah, yeah. and going, I want to buy the watch, but I want to try it on. And yes, they would yeah. come in and they, they wouldn't even want, they, you know, we'd offer them a cup of tea, you know, a beer, you know, and, and they wouldn't be interested necessarily in the experience. What they wanted was just to put the watch on their wrist and go, yeah, this is yeah, right. Yeah. I want this done. And I mean, what's nice is we don't get, we, we, I think I can count on one hand in the last five years how many watches we've ever had returned. Really um, amazing. Which for me is very, you know, that, that means a huge amount. But it also means what people aren't doing is buying a watch and then, you know, to try it on. And then if they don't like it, return it, which I think is very respectful because even though we have a, you know, a great free returns policy, you know, um, we'll, we'll, we're, we're never going to argue on, on someone returning a watch. No. At the same time, you realise that the bricks and mortar store is vital for that. So, yeah, Callum, I, I absolutely mm. think... A bricks and mortar presence, some sort of you know in, in in person boutique would be important. We have a showroom in Canterbury at the moment, but I think oh, I, do, I don't want to say you know I'm I'm a Londoner born and bred. I you know I, I don't live in London now, but I, I, I you know grew up in London. I spent most of my life in London. If we're having one store, I, it would have to be London. Even though our heritage is Bristol, yeah. London is just it's still the place where you get the most number of people and. I know someone isn't going to, you know, make, make, make a pilgrimage to the Fears Boutique just to try on a watch. It's going to be coinciding with a weekend in town to go to the theatre, to go out for dinner, you know, with the, with the other half and, and, and all that. And so I think rather than, you know, trying to drag people to a part of the, you know, to fantastic cities, you know, Bristol, Canterbury, you know, I think London is also because, and I remember this, Distinctly, we had so many people who would come up to London. They would come to Fears, try on a Brunswick, and then they'd be saying, right, I'm going up to now try on an IWC or a Jaeger or a Cartier mm -hmm. and then make my decision today. You know, they want to sure. try on the watches almost yeah. back to back, you know. Yeah. Um, and yes, you know, I like to think we offered a, a superior customer experience, but actually you realise a big part of it is people still want to try on a watch. And I think that's why always, yeah, you know, course. physical retail for an item like a wristwatch will be so vital because Definitely. we know that the difference of a millimetre on a watch can make or break a watch. And it's not even yeah. about that yeah. one millimetre, it's about proportions, it's about how it wears. You know, a watch can wear bigger, smaller. And so I always find this hilarious when I, I people say, oh, you know, I would never wear a watch being 40 millimetres. And I'm like, look, I have tiny wrists. Would I wear a watch 40 millimetres? No, I'm guilty of dismissing watches of 40 millimetres. And yet, you know, one of my first proper watches I bought was a, a Seamaster, which was 41 millimetres. But it's got a huge rotating bezel, which means that the dial was very small, yes. relative, which yeah. meant that it wore smaller on the wrist. And even as someone who designs watches, and I, I've, I've spent the last, you know, 12, 13 years working in the watch industry, I still fall for spec tables. And I think, look, spec tables are important to a point, mm. but mm. really you, you need to try it on. Um, but when we talk about, like, retail, 
And, you know, this touches a bit on what we were mentioning earlier about, you know, wait lists and, and how uh, the customer is, is, is treated. I think I'm a huge fan of independent retailers, like the proper old school jeweler where, you know, when someone goes, I want to buy a watch, a cuff, pair of cufflings, a necklace, a Valentine's present, a Christmas, you know, slash anything made out of precious metal or, you know, a, a piece of jewellery or watch. They go, well, I always go to X. Yes. You know, I always go to this place because we've always gone to them and they offer us wonderful experience and we have our salesperson there. And, and for me, I love tradition. Tradition is important if you, you're being treated well. Um, I think, and this links very, very squarely back to my point earlier, I think if you are a retailer who, you know, the reason you're doing well is because you're you're just selling hugely popular watches that are overhyped. I think that's dangerous. You you know you what are you bringing to the table? What are you offering that's better than a good e-commerce website? Um, you Very know, good and point. we 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 have a few retailers we work with. I would like to work with more, um, but for me, I'm. You know, if you are a small independent, you know, maybe family run retailer that has a loyal, you know, client base and, you know, you, you do things in a slightly more old fashioned way and maybe you have an e-commerce site, maybe you don't. But, you know, if you're one of those sort of places, well, absolutely come, you know, I would love to hear from you because that they're who we'd rather work with rather than a big chain store where, you know, Really, it's transactional. Yes, because exactly. Come, yeah, yeah. You know, come on. A Fears Brunswick starts at just shy of three thousand pounds. This isn't a transaction, and I'm not going to use no. the cliche. Oh, it's an investment. No, come on. Look, what this is is you know, it's a commitment. You're committing significant money to buying something that you're going to strap onto your wrist. I mean, what a personal, exactly a personal product. Completely. You know, it's almost like underwear. You know, it's it's something that is right against your skin. It's it's on you, and you're wearing it, and potentially something that you will wear every day through, you know, getting married, a job promotion, birth of a child, you know, through significant occasions. And I want you to, every time you read the time on it, not only think back to, not only look at it and go, oh, it's a beautiful object. And of course it will last a lifetime because it's built well, but also think back to that experience of buying it. And that doesn't mean Mm. champagne and flowers and all that. It means being treated with respect. It means having that slightly old school thing of walking in somewhere and it doesn't feel snooty and scary and, you know, unapproachable, but you go in and you feel special. It's got to always feel special. Definitely. I think think that's such a nice point. I I couldn't agree more. I I think it would... um, yeah, I think it's so important to be selective in terms of the people who would retail your watches and make sure that they have the same values that you do. And going to a big high street chain jeweller, there's just less guarantee of that happening. And I think it's such an important part of the buying experience, especially with a with, with a fears. I think that's a really good point. I mean, it is uh, think, as yeah. you say, it is less guarantee. I mean, I I know of some people who go to their local sort of chain jeweller. And they, they, you know, they always go and see a certain salesperson because that person is exceptional. You know, there are going to be some people like that, but sadly and increasingly, that is is not always the case. No. And well, and and, again, and we you know, all we all know uh, a certain individual who used to do exactly that and now doesn't. Who 
retails your watches and people like him in the retail industry are very yeah. few and far between nowadays aren't they no exactly and i think you know at the end of the day you know if, if it's a privilege to sell nice watches you need to treat it you know treat it as such i completely agree that care and love with uh with mr kibble is kind of what i think makes him so popular with again serious watch people because you know as you said it's not just um you know it's not just a weak job for him you know it's, it's not just he wakes up and goes to work he he genuinely is a massive nerd in that in that is what people what people like about it in uh, the passions there and the passions very clear uh, and that's what makes him popular and as you said if if you can have a situation where you are only going through retailers such uh, you know similar to him where there's actual genuine passion and care then you maintain you maintain that whole um, that whole sort of buying experience and customer experience that, that, that you're sort of trying to get across. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, mentioning mentioning James and Kibble watches, you know, I I own a couple of pieces in my personal collection. I've sold most of my, my watch collection to help fund the relaunch of Fears. But in the last few years, I've been, you know, as things have been a bit more stable, I've been able to, you know, rebuild my own collection. And I, I you know, I tend not to spend a huge fortune on watches. Um, but... All of them I've purchased from from Kibble Watches, and you know it's not just a oh I want to support him because you know he's he's a, he's a good friend, but it's because he's got an eye for not only unusual watches but also good quality examples, and actually something where you go oh my goodness what is this? Well he'll tell you rather than just saying oh well it's a pretty watch in a silver case with a blue dial. Yeah. He'll be able to tell you, yeah, exactly. and you know it, you end up in a position where you know and I, though I don't want you. To, to, to remove a listener from this episode for you. But I hope James isn't listening to this because, you know, I, I've got a bit of money saved and, you know, I, I would like to treat myself to another watch. And I just keep looking at what, what Kibble Watches has, you know, because it's rather than saying, yeah. oh, I've got money burning a hole in my pocket. I want to just go on Chrono 24 and, you know, just buy it from some random person anywhere. Yeah, fine. If I really want that specific watch, but I'd rather wait and then suddenly James will have something where I go, oh my goodness, I'd never thought of this. Yeah. Bam, I want to buy it from him. It's sort of a, you know, to the point that he knows there are certain pieces that I would love to own and he's just got them noted down. And if he ever gets offered them, and this has happened in the past where suddenly he'll call me and say, are you still interested in one of these? I might get one in. And, you know, that's the old school service. That's the old kind of like, oh, keep yes. your eye out for this. And, you know, buying the also, seller, isn't it? This is it. You're buying the seller. And I think that's the thing. You know, what I like from buying from, from someone like James Kibble is it is it's got that old school thing. You know, he's 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 my watch dealer in the way that you might have had in back in the day, a wine merchant. You know, oh, they're my wine merchant. They're my tailor. They're my, you know, cobbler. Well, James is my watch dealer. You know, if I want to buy a, a watch, he's who I will go to and get him to source something. Um and, you know, sadly, that is, is, is rare because there are a lot of people in, in the watch industry who are in it just, just purely to make money. Um, and, yeah, there's nothing wrong with making money. Absolutely not. But I think you've... <laughs> it depends if you want to make money for a year or two and then get out of it or if you're going, actually, I do care about what I'm doing. And, exactly. you know, I like to surround myself with people, people like that. You know, every week I... I get multiple emails and messages from people 
wanting to work in the watch industry, wanting to set up a watch company, asking me for advice. And, you know, I, I tend to only actually end up chatting and giving advice and, and, and support to maybe one person a week. And the reason is a lot of people, you can tell very quickly, they've gone, ooh, looks like watches are doing well. Looks like I can make a bit of money here, quick buck. I, I'm sorry, the world yeah. has too many watch companies already. Exactly. All, you know, I was talking about this on Clubhouse last week. You know, there are too many watch companies. There are too many watches. And of course, someone could easily say, okay, Nicholas, so why do you think you and Fears has a right to exist? I don't. Just because Fears is 175 years old, we've been going five years since the relaunch because we, you know, we invest a lot of time, energy and effort into, into what we make. No, none of that gives us a right. We're not entitled sure. to exist, which means that every single day, me, the company, everyone who works for Fears have to win that right with, with the members of the public. And this is the thing I, I always say to anyone wanting to set up a watch company is saying, you've got to be prepared to, you know, eat a lot of beans on toast. You've got to be prepared to make huge sacrifices. I mean, I, I was talking to my, my husband a week ago about this and was, we were kind of reminiscing a bit about the first year or two of Running Fears. And I remember that first year of Running Fears where, I mean, I literally took nine days off. I was working wow. every single day and, you know, stupendous number of hours. But I wasn't What's changed? because... Well, <laughs> I mean, the difference is, you know, back then we would have months where we wouldn't sell anything. You know, we would have zero mums. And how do you keep the momentum going when you made no money and you've got no one buying anything? Well, <clears throat> I think if, you, if you're willing to do it even when that happens, then you're, you're, you're still willing to do it when, like on Friday, we sell five watches in two minutes and we sell out. Exactly. You know, yes, for me, yeah. it's going actually every morning, every day when I wake up is going, you have to approach it as if, today is going to be a zero sale day or a zero sale month um we've always got to you know we've always got to work hard to win the respect and you know and and, and give people a reason to to come to fears simple mm -hmm. as that i think that's the difference between you guys and you know the the mountain of new brands coming onto the scene at the moment it, it a lot of these brands feel exceptionally soulless and as you said it's, it's more about probably the business prop proposition opposed to the actual you know the passion and the love for the love yeah, for technology as, as it were so you yeah. um you said that you you uh you had a bit of money put aside and you had been looking at uh maybe lining up your next purchase have you got any ideas as to what that might be have you is there anything in particular you've got your <laughs> eye on or oh He's talking about the uh, Zenith Zenith Alpha Miro uh, Chronomaster that that Kibble has. At the <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, that's outstanding. That is that really is. Well, I think I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky at this point because my other half is not in uh, in the room next to me. And <laughs> very, Crucial. He's very You know, no no offense, but he's very he's he's not a watch guy, so he's not going to be listening to this episode. So I can be quite open and honest because um, <laughs> he he would. I would get a very strong telling off if he realised I had any money put aside for that and it wasn't going into doing up our, our house. Um, so, I mean, my, my, my dream watch, uh, the watch I would love to own and would love to um, 
to have one day would be anything pretty much made by Lauren Ferrier. Oh, um, yes. They are, nice. I, for me, they are just the epitome of understated, classy, all the things that I wish I was, and I'm absolutely not. Um, but they You're are. You're doing yourself a disservice there, Nicholas. I, I, I just love what Monsieur Ferrier does. And I remember meeting him at an SIHH in Geneva and just going up to him like an excited, uh, an excited schoolboy and just go, ah. Oh, Monsieur Ferrier, I love everything you make and, you, you know, you're amazing. And, da, da, da. and after about a five-minute rampage of just gushing, um, the CEO, she's a charming lady, she stepped forward and said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to, uh, to interrupt, but uh, Monsieur Ferrier doesn't actually speak English. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, brilliant. So, and he was just smiling away as this, like, crazy English guy is, like, you know, gushing forward. But no, I'd, I'd like a watch like that. But, you know, even... Even on uh, even the best pricing that they they go down to, we're still talking fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds, and mm. I'm not in a, that yeah, position yeah, anytime yeah. soon. Um, so, you know, for me, I I am a fan of some of the big boys. Um, not necessarily what they make right now today. I I think, yeah, you know, I mean. oh, you you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred pounds would buy you a beautiful eighteen karat gold Vacheron from the sixties, seventies. Yes. Yeah. Something dressy. I mean, the watches I've got from from Kibble watches are things like uh, I've got a Seagull nineteen sixty three Chrono, which is gorgeous sort of beta watch, and it's mine's a PVD one, which yeah. I have properly beaten up a lot. Um, but I've also got uh, a very elegant Crador ultra slim dress watch that I bought. Oh, I, I absolutely love that watch. It is, oh, it is gorgeous. And I think the thing is, people go, oh, it's a dress watch. When I, I, I will happily wear that. Okay, uh, okay, it is a dress watch. And when I'm saying I'm wearing it every day, I'm wearing it every day, you know, wearing my, my Savile Row suit and, you know, cufflink shirt. And so, okay, I appreciate it. I, I tend to dress a bit dressier anyway. So it's, but it, it's a watch you can wear every day because it's just two hands, no second hand, no copy. It just put it on the wrist and it works. So I think I would like, I'm, I'm certainly, I always am in the, in the market for an interesting dress watch. Um, but having said all this, it may be that Kibble doesn't get my money. And actually, um, I'm, I'm debating whether to, this year is the, the five years, five years of running fears, uh, five years since the relaunch. I'm kind of tempted to commission a bespoke piece from fears. Oh. You know, we, we have a we have a fears custom division where we, we make unique watches for people, um, and we tend not to publicise it because unless the the owner who who creates the watch wants to publicise it, it's very sort of discreet and old school. You know, it's. It's funny you say that because I, and I can't remember, I'd forgotten about it, but I saw one of those on the wrist of uh, of Dave Sharp. He had mm, one done, yes. didn't he? A gorgeous, gorgeous piece. I'll, I'll put a photo up in the, in the show notes. But um, I think that'd be a great idea. Why not? How, how commemorative would that be to commission a bespoke piece from your own brand? I think that would be a lovely I, I, thing I just... To do. You know, it's sort of that thing of saying, well, you know, I, I still have to pay full price for it. I don't get any preferential t- treatment. But I just, I think there is a point where you go, one of the beautiful, lovely things about owning and running a watch company is if I want to make a watch, I can make a watch. You know, if I go, actually, you know what? Mm. I want to make something which has got this style of numerals and it's made out of this metal and, you know, it's all this. And you can go, this wouldn't be commercial. But it doesn't matter. 
I think yeah. that's the thing. Yes, yeah. I, I sometimes forget that actually one of the privileged positions I have is, you know, I look at other brands, oh, I'd love to own that, I'd love to own that. And you go, well, you know what? I could just make it for myself. Like, we have watchmakers, we have case makers, we have dollmakers. Like, we have all the supply chain lined up to just make a one-off watch, which we know would not be a commercial watch. And that doesn't matter. No, I mean, exactly. To be honest, when I'm, when I'm designing watches, I don't usually, I mean, I hope people will like them. But this is the thing. This is always the thing. And, you know, last Friday when we put that limited edition out, it was a real kind of hold the breath of, will people like it? Because I often design something which is a reflection of my taste. You know, what I believe is is, is good taste and good design. Um, and there are a lot of people who, who don't agree with me. They, they, you know, Athea's is not for them, whether it's not for their lifestyle, they don't like it. Absolutely fine. But I would rather create things that you love or you hate. I think if anyone said they liked one of the watches that we made, I would be insulted. Sure. I, I, I want that Marmite reaction. Point. You know, I think like is just such a mediocre word. I, I want all the superlatives. I want all of the happy superlatives or all of the negative superlatives. I don't want any just descriptives. No like, oh, it's a good watch. No, 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 no. It's fantastic mm. or it's horrific. Yes, I, I, I really like that. You've, you've got to do that, I think, because if you don't, then you end up like so many um, of the big companies where they make things based on, on focus group. They make it based on a, oh, well, you know, this is the average of what people would like. Well, I don't know. I think... You know, let, let's shock and awe and let's, you know, what was it Henry Ford used to say? You know, if, if he had asked people what they wanted, it would have been faster horses. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, I really like that. I mean, I think, I, I mean, th- this has been, I, we, we, we've said this a couple of times before in episodes, but I don't think any episode a- actually rings true as much as this one does. This has been just an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on it's just been so insightful to hear more about the brand and your philosophy and your values and some of the watches that you produce and a bit about your collecting which is always interesting to to get a bit of an idea and i thank you nicholas for coming on it's been amazing it's been a fantastic conversation thank you so much for, for for having me on and you know it's nice to be able to it's nice to be able to kind of convey what drives me, what gets me fired up to do what I do without my usual just sat there in my office foaming at the mouth with rage when I see what other people do. But no, and, and it's also when it comes to, you know, watches and my own personal collecting, I think the big thing is it sounds so cliche, but it's, you know, buy something that you love. I think I've never, I've yeah. never bought a watch with an eye to selling it and you know as and when in the past I ever have sold any watches from my own personal collection I've lost so much money on them yes but I don't care (laughs) no you know I don't care you know for me it's like every you know when I open my little watch box everything brings me joy you know and I think that that's what at the end of the day that's what it's got to be if you start thinking about the money and the investment and all that you shouldn't be able to buy it and again you know when it comes to buying a watch you, you if you can't afford to break it you shouldn't you can't afford to own exactly, it. and I, th- I think that's been the really interesting thing that that shone through this episode is your. It, it's just it's complete passion, and it's it's yeah. it, it, it's. It, I think for me, it only makes me love the brand more to know how truly passionate you are about what you do, and I think it's just been 
it's been an amazing episode and I can't wait to edit this together and get it out so that other people can hear the passion that we have heard because it's just been amazing, really has. Oh, well, thank you very much. It would be excellent to, uh, to see you at Yes, Red definitely. Yeah. Fingers okay. crossed we can... A real-world interaction. Exactly. Share a glass of champagne soon. I'll be, I'll, I'll be propped up at the bar. Come over and I'll, I'll make You'll sure... You'll be propped up next to us, I would imagine. So <laughs> we'll see you That's, there. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Well, um, thank you very much to everyone for tuning in. Um, please, please, please go and check out Fears. Um, if you haven't heard of them or you have, please go and check out their website and their Instagram because their watches are gorgeous. Um, and if you really want to, you can go and check out our Instagram at the Young Horologist and the website. Um, but thank you, Nicholas, again for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Moore, as always, for, for jumping on. And um, yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, absolute pleasure, gents. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. <laughs>